0: Welcome to Mental Radio, where we talk about mental health from a holistic perspective. I'm your host, Jesse Zuckman, and on the show today we have Jonathan Normita, and he is a musician and an art teacher, uh, another Bipolar two fellow like myself, and he has recently come back from a men's healing retreat. Uh, in this day and age, we talk a lot about gender roles, we talk about a lot about gender expectations, And it got me really thinking about how gender informed my own upbringing and my own childhood traumas. And a lot of times, as men or or young boys in this society, if you fall a little bit outside of the norm, if you're deemed effeminate in any way, which a lot of us are, we are uh, very often humiliated, beaten, you know, uh, hurt. Where do you go if you're... Uh, a young man or a man uh, looking to resolve and heal from that kind of trauma. So today's conversation is all about that. There's a lot of these men's healing groups that, uh, that, that specifically cater to men talking about men's issues. And I think it's really interesting. I'm hearing a lot of great things and Johnny has a lot of great things to say about it. He's found some profound healing um, doing this kind of work and, uh, He'll tell us all about it. Before we get to Johnny, as always, nothing on the podcast is intended to be medical advice or medical care. You have to talk to your licensed healthcare practitioner before making any changes to your plan whatsoever. Don't delay in getting care um, based on anything on the podcast. And we mean it. If you do like the conversation, please consider supporting our work at mentalhealthmedia.org where you can make a tax-deductible contribution. Sign up for our mailing list and our socials and uh, get to know a little bit more about the project. With all of that business out of the way, I bring you Johnny Narmita. Hey, Johnny. Welcome to Mental Radio. Uh, How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing all right, man. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: Of course, of course. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: So I teach uh, middle school visual arts. Um, this is my 12th year teaching art and this is my fourth year at the school I'm currently at, um, in Redmond, Washington. And, um, that's, that's where I am currently. I've had a lot of different jobs in, in the arts field. Um, but this is, this is just where my, my purpose landed. And, uh, it's, I've tried to step away from it, but it just keeps bringing me back.
0: And you've been in some bands, uh, over the years as well.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, mostly my early twenties. I, I I was in a lot of bands and touring. Um, I'm usually always in a band. This is actually probably the first time in many years that I'm not actively in a in a band since I was probably like 15. So I'm like 38 now. So this is the first time. It's a little strange.
0: <laughs> you think you'll go back to it?
1: Yeah, it's always it's always a creative outlet that I need. Um, even as a visual art teacher, usually during the school year, a lot of my Creative outlets don't really come through in like traditional visual art. Um, it usually comes through music, it's just kind of what happens during the school year. Um, Mm -hmm. so I I have some things in the works right now, um, but not a full band. I I think I'm just kind of, uh, kind of reapproaching my approach to being in a band and sort of more about what I want out of it and kind of being less of a maybe a little less of a team player, a little bit, a little bit less of a diplomat in, in some ways. So I really had to ask myself, you know, like, what, what do I want out of this? What do, what kind of music do I want to make?
0: Sounds like you're going, sounds like you're doing some work on yourself, brother. Absolutely. Always. I had you on the, on the show because you've uh, recently um, done some new type of therapeutic work in this man's retreat, which I think a lot of people, uh, might be interested in if they even know it existed. I didn't even know it existed before you told me about it. Um, but before we get there, could you tell us a little bit about your experience, um, with mental illness and kind of like when your mental health recovery journey kind of started?
1: Sure. Um, so I've been, I've been battling mental illness my whole life. Um, I've been on and off with just regular therapists and counselors since I was fifteen. Um, you know I had some some other learning disabilities growing up, and I was always you know sort of just right on the cusp of 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 needing some form of medication according to the doctors at the time um but my parents you know they just kind of decided you know that it wasn't enough you know enough enough evidence to really see the benefit of of medicating me. Um, so I was at a young age. I was very, uh, very much exposed to sort of therapy and and uh, people being, being very honest with me about you know some theories about ADHD, ADD, um, anxiety, depression. So um, you know, I wasn't I wasn't really officially diagnosed with anything until I kind of went more into the you know, psych, psychologist realm, as opposed to just a psych, or I'm sorry, a psychiatrist, as opposed to a psychologist. So once I went to somebody who was able to prescribe a lot more kind of decisions were being made there, and I didn't start doing that or even being open to that until I was in maybe like my early 20s. So over the years, I've, you know, I've, I've tried many different strategies to, um, you know, to to self medicate and, and, um, and, and sort of find new ways to, um, to deal with my mental illness. So I, have been officially diagnosed, quote unquote diagnosed with a type two bipolar and, um, anxiety and depression as well. So, um, I've been, uh, so that's sort of my, my history there, what, kind of what I've been diagnosed with and, um, you know, and, and through the years, like I said, I've had multiple different strategies to kind of help me through it and they, it just keeps growing. And my, my coping mechanisms, continue now to really grow and um, stabilize myself,
0: which was the it goal. Sound, it, it sounds like you have uh, some questions about, do you not believe in diagnoses in general? It sounds like maybe,
1: or not? Um, you know, I, I'm not sure. It's, um, I think because so much of anxiety, depression and bipolar kind of, you know, it's just a little different for everybody. Um, and most of my family as well you know, has, has some form of mental illness in these, in these realms as well. So it's, it's hard to, to gauge because it's like, yes, I have anxiety, but like what, how extreme is your anxiety in comparison with your depression? Cause they kind of just go hand in hand with each other and they feed off of each other so much. So it's just really hard to kind of give it that for me to give it that that blanket statement being like oh you have anxiety and it's like yeah but what kind or how intense is it do you have panic attacks do you have this so it's hard for i think it's hard for me to wrap my head around that. it's like yes i do have this but it's it's just so different for everybody
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and what what have you done to, to to cope so far with with uh your maybe maybe anxiety maybe something else with your conglomeration of not feeling good
1: Well, I I mean, currently, currently I am medicated. Um, I have been for the past probably 10 years. Uh, So I, so I am on a small dosage of, um, of antidepressant and a mood stabilizer. And those are the only, that's what I'm on right now. And, um, you know, I'm stable. And uh, I think that was the first thing I had to say to myself was, you know, um, I'm not going to cure myself or have this all go away it will always exist in me because it's a part of me. And I had to accept that, um, for me, that that was a big step for me, but I can stabilize myself. And that mm-hmm, was my goal. Mm-hmm. I said, I, I'm not going to fix it, but I can stabilize it. And I'm okay with that. And to get to this point of stabilization, and I can honestly say I'm the most stable I've ever been in my life at this point in my life. And, um, to help myself through that, you know, m- music and art was a huge outlet when I was younger and I was, just more angry and I was depressed, typical angst stuff, but also a little bit more intense. So I did use my art a lot in, um, when I was younger to sort of escape and, you know, find some therapy for myself. And, um, that, that still is true today, a little less than it was before. It's just not as intense because I found other methods. Um, also through the years, just, you know, I've, I've always been kind of on and off. Even I started in my early twenties, just with, just with the yoga and just some simple, mindfulness um sort of exercises for myself to just sort of be present and forcing myself to be present um which which was always good for me i think you know it was really hard to find sort of um you know what strategies not only work but what i could consistently do um throughout you know the the hustle bustle of the day and um just you know and knowing when to stop and when to use these strategies and 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 when not to and yeah. You know, so just sort of navigating through that. So yoga has been really helpful for me. I still, I still do it now, not as often as I, as I would like to, um, definitely some meditation that goes along with, with, with yoga specifically. Um, and those were my, those were my go-tos for, for a long time. You know, I would definitely always feel relief or, you know, especially after playing a show or being on stage, it, it got to the point where if I didn't play a show, um, my mental illness was a lot worse. So it became like i I needed this, I needed to exert this or get this out or produce this or create this in order for me to feel just somewhat stable within myself and uh when I realized, oh, you might not always have a show this weekend, I had to you know figure something out um and it took a long time for me to to figure out some other ways to do this that really worked for me without affecting myself or or the people around me due to my you know my mental illness.
0: That's such a key point that, you know, it has to work for you and for people starting this journey. That's really where it's at. You know, on Twitter, I I talk about all kinds of different things that work for different people. And very often people get reactive, They're like, I don't want to try that. That doesn't work for me. Move on, you know, maybe try it for a couple weeks. It doesn't, you know, one way or the other. But it's got to work for you. It's got to work for your life. It's got to work for your body. You know, you just got to play with a lot of things. It's not like yoga is the answer. I think people, especially right. patients get, you know, we we hear so much from our friends or family that like, I have solved your problems. All you need to do is yoga. And so people get kind of you know defensive <laughs> but the thing is it's got to work for you and only you can do that so you know try it on um or don't you know and 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 you'll you'll get there um just by keeping uh just keeping open to what might work yes.
1: um
0: so uh yeah I, and then um we just did a podcast with Nick Cavalier who talked a, a, a exactly about this he made a, a film called down again which i'm going to suggest to everybody um listening about uh, the the metal band that's like very influenced by uh hardcore uh chimera i think is it called oh yeah chimera yeah. out of, chimera out, of uh, chimera. Cle- out of cleveland yeah he made a documentary uh, the the lead singer of that band is bipolar and okay. made a documentary about exactly that about like using hardcore heavy metal Mm -hmm. to manage, you know? And I I remember there was a time in my life where I was like, oh man, I am getting out of this hardcore shit. Like this is childish. I don't need this anymore. And now that I'm almost 40 years old, I'm looking back at it and being like, there was so much we were doing right for our mental and spiritual health. Um, you know, that we were ahead of our time. There's a lot of stuff that I'm reconstructing now in my life that, that, um, you know, the camaraderie, the catharsis, all of that, like we had that just kind of built in, you know, to, to just go on to shows. We had so much healthy outlet for our emotions, um, in that world.
1: And it was everything. It, It was everything to me. Um, it's, you know, it really, it really, You know, of course, my parents would disagree, but, you know, to this day, you know, I'm so grateful that I that I had that. And um, it just it just contributed to so much of who I am and who I continue to be. And definitely for mental health. I mean, if I didn't have that, it would have been a whole lot worse. That is for sure. If I didn't have that scene and that camaraderie.
0: And it like it gave us an out. It gave us an outlet. Right. Like, so, like, you know, we talk so much about now in the social media age of like just kind of being on the receiving end of mental Mm -hmm. illness and like we've kind of you know looking back on it we were able to channel so much of our dysfunction into art into Mm -hmm. activism into you know making magazines and and events and just so much stuff and there's no doubt that most of us in that in those scenes were affected people um but wow what an amazing thing it was kind of like a lost thing to like talk about channeling the illness, mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call that, that kind of energy, you know. Um, I kind of wonder if the so you recently went on just pivoting slightly. Um, yes. you recently w- went on a retreat, um, and I kind of wonder if some of that was. I wonder if you would tell us about uh, that retreat, and I, I wonder if, if any of that is, is connected to you from that that camaraderie and that world of you know a very masculine space of hardcore to going on this men's retreat. Um, so yeah, if you could just start by saying where you went and what you did and why you did it and then we could kind of compare and contrast.
1: Sure, actually this works really well because um, the reason how I found out about this um, so so it's called um, it's called Sacred Sons and you can check it out. It's uh, sacredsons.com and
0: And it's a group, um, it's a it's a seminar, what is it?
1: So they have a bunch of um, there's a bunch of events where they have retreat style things that are more face-to-face. There's some online courses as well, um, that, that all fall under this, this umbrella of sort of promoting this, um, uh, you know, um, just what does it mean to, to, ha- what does masculinity mean in 2019? And it's, uh, it's, it's focused on on sort of creating this brotherhood amongst men, um, of sort of promoting, promoting positive and uh masculinity but also, you know, rising to the to your, you know, your truest and most honest and best version of of yourself. And um how this came about was um my girlfriend said to me one day she goes, "What do you want to do for your birthday?" And you know, every year it's kind of more the same. It's like, "Oh, uh, you know, I'll have a party or people can come over or this." And she said, "Well, what do you want to do?" And I really had to think about it. And I said, you know what, I'd like to challenge myself, you know, Um, because I felt like I was very stable in my life. Like for the first time, you know, when you struggle with mental illness, you're used to the battle, you're used to that uphill battle, the struggle. So, what happens when your struggle is stable? I almost Mm, didn't know what to mm -hmm. do with myself. I was like, now what? Like, you know, where's my next battle coming from? Like, who do I, what am I have to fight next? And there was really nothing. So, then that took that made me, that just took a big turn for me. And I said, well, now what, now what do I do? You know, I, 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 I'm happy with my job. My relationships are wonderful. I'm I'm happy where I live. I have good friends. So now what? Um, so I said, I really want to challenge myself and push myself to see, you know, dig a little bit deeper now. So my girlfriend says to me, well, m- my friend, um, I think you'd really like him. He used to be in a hardcore band and he has started, this group called Sacred Sons with two other men. And, um, she's like, I'm not quite a hundred percent sure, you know, exactly what it's about, but maybe this is something you'd be interested in. So, um, and that's exactly what happened. Um, you know, I I actually called this gentleman and he's been, um, you know, he was in a, he was in a fairly successful hardcore band. They've toured the country and uh, it was called, um, um, 12 tribes was the name of the band. Mm -hmm. And they were on, I think, ferret music. Um, and they were based out of Dayton, Ohio. And, um, and so when, when I heard that, that sort of immediately was like, okay, let me, let me check this out. Let me just be, you know, be open-minded and see what it's about. So, um, of course I was very skeptical because I'm like, oh, it's a retreat kind of thing with other men. Is it going to be, you know, I was like, I was very skeptical because also being, you know, growing up within that scene, you know, being sort of counterculture, I was like, oh, is this going to be like a fraternity? Is this going to be like a cult mm. thing? Is this going to be like very yeah. like hippity-dippity? Like I just didn't know what to expect, but I felt some sort of sense of, you know, um, I guess I guess open-mindedness because I knew sort of, uh, you know, my girlfriend was suggesting it and then she was friends with this gentleman. Because um, mm-hmm. she was actually on on tour with him, because she's a filmmaker and she was doing a documentary for them, and so uh, and on tour with another band at the time. And uh, so I was like, okay, let me check this out. So I called him, and we started talking, and you know, and automatically you just, I just felt that camaraderie straight up coming from growing up in a, in a punk rock scene and having other men to be around. But this time around, I said, oh well, this is different though because these are different types of men, you know our scene had a lot of, you know, there was some toxic masculinity in the punk rock scene for sure. You know, there's the tough guy stuff, the bro you know, just not very positive, you know, forms of, 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 uh, you know, modeling of, of men. But we kind of took to that a little bit because we were like, Oh, I feel a little tough right now. You know, I'm at the hardcore show. I feel tough. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of gave you, you know, that kind of like set a stage for us too. So, um, that's how, that's how this came about. Um, so the first one that I went to was in, um, Idlewild, California. So the, the Sacred Sons, the the three gentlemen who started it, uh, are based in the San Diego area. So, um, this was called, uh, an EMX. It stands for the Embodied Masculine Experience. And, um, we went to Idlewild, California and, uh, we, st- We actually stayed at at this uh, Airbnb that they have used in Idlewild for a while, which was, I think it would, I think it's like a yoga retreat center. So it was a house. Um, and then there was a, there was a yurt in the backyard. So I I didn't know what to expect. I I really didn't. So at this one, it was much more, it was a much smaller event. Um, and I believe there was 20, 20, to 25 men from all over the world, all over the country that showed up to participate in this, in this process. And, um, I can honestly say it was, it was very transformative. Um, not knowing what to expect, you know, I, I kept a, I kept an open mind, but all of my fears and my skepticism just went away, you know, the more and more I was there and this was just a weekend, um, you know, but it's, it's an intense weekend and, um, you know, it's just, it's three days of, of, as we would call it, do doing the work, you know, really showing up. For yourself and challenging yourself and, you know, forcing yourself to um, kind of address some of your shadows and some things from your past and your deepness, but also doing that with a really open mind and being present in your moment and being supportive within this sacred brotherhood of these men that have all come and shown up and everyone comes in with a different story, with a different amount of pain, fear, um, and we're all there for the same reason, and it—it it was very very that? positive.
0: What What is the reason that uh, everybody uh, w- was there?
1: I think we were all we were all lost, and we were looking for connection and camaraderie, and we were looking for it within a group of men because we were obviously we were all having relationships with men as friends and and colleagues and. I think all of us, we, I think a lot of people know that you're, that you want a certain type of friendship or relationship with, with another man, um, as being your, you know, your, your friend or your bro or whatever you want to call it. And I think we were lost individually. And I think wherever we were, the friendships that we had might not have been fulfilling, you know, a positive impact on us, um, because of, you know, sort of how we've been conditioned as men through generations, and so that's where it kind of comes to like, what is masculinity now? What does it mean, quote unquote, to be a man in 2019? What does that look like? Mm-hmm. And I think we were all curious about that. So I think we were looking for friends. I think we were looking for camaraderie. I think we were looking for support. And I think a lot of us, you know, there was a lot of pain in that room. You know, um, you know, I've I've lo- I looked into the eyes of a lot of men, and you can just see that they were in a lot of pain, and they had a lot of demons that they were you know, and, uh, trying to face and navigate and they just didn't really know how. Um, so we were looking for some, we were all looking for something to kind of break through and challenge ourselves. And some, some, some of us, you know, I didn't even know exactly why I was there at first. I said, okay, I'm just being open-minded and I'm showing up to see, you know, what, what, what this is all about. What does it mean? And what does it mean for me? And I just, I didn't know.
0: It sounds like group therapy. Is it like group therapy?
1: It's strange. It it is a it is a little bit. You know, it's more sort of like a men's circle, um, mm-hmm. where you know, and it, it is and it is facilitated. Um, the cool thing about the facilitation is that uh, the three brothers who are the facilitators who started this, um, you know, they all come from their own stories and their own backgrounds, and so you tend to relate to. One of the facilitators in a in a way to sort of facilitate or as you know or uh, they sort of process you where they take you through your process, and each man um you know throughout the weekend kind of kind of gets processed in a way where um mm-hmm. you you come in and you really you you share your your struggles and and why and why you think you're there and um you know the facilitators they do a really wonderful job at <clears throat> You know, really asking you the right questions. And what's wonderful about it is that you feel you're in a room full of strangers who you've just met and you feel fully supported by other men and you feel fully, um, not judged. And, um, you know, kind mm-hmm. of like a lot of the other feelings that you might have that you've had in the past with just, you know, being in groups of men where you feel this anxiety or the need to mm-hmm. be, be more of a man or, You know, just this judgment or, you know, and and none of that exists. And that just blew, that alone just blew my mind because I had to think to myself, Mm -hmm. when was the last time I was in a room with 25 other men and I didn't feel maybe a little bit uncomfortable or felt like someone was sizing Mm -hmm. me up or judging me. And it just didn't Mm -hmm. exist. It just wasn't in the room because we all came with an open mind and we all came to be supportive of each other, even though we didn't know each other. Mm -hmm. And it was a really just beautiful process.
0: So it's so did you find that in, in finding this space where there's more openness, um, less tension, uh, a sense of camaraderie and being, did you then reflect to think that some of um, your issues with anxiety came from those similar issues of, being around men or not having healthy relationships. Absolutely. Or or your own, your own masculinity even.
1: Absolutely. Um, and I, I didn't quite a hundred percent realize that until I was really deep into the weekend where I said, you know, I, I said, I've always been, you know, this version of myself. Um, and I had to think back to other relationships that I've had with other men in my life, you know, whether it was my father or friends, and also thinking about what I went through, um, with masculinity and, um, my story, everyone's story is different, but for me, um, you know, I, I, I can share, you know, I, I went through puberty very late in my life. Uh, I was a late mm-hmm. bloomer as they would call it. And, um, you know, I went to You know, when I was still dealing even with, you know, in my teenage years, dealing with mental health, then I was also told that, oh, you're not producing enough hormones. Like, so I was going to doctors and they were running all these tests and yeah, it, it definitely affected my masculinity. All my friends were going through puberty. Mm -hmm. They were becoming quote unquote men. And here I was like four foot 11, my freshman year of like high school. And I didn't, you know, so that made me very uncomfortable. It made me feel very, uh, you know, very abnormal. And uh, and because of that, you know, I was angry. And because I, I was short, I had the chip on my shoulder. You know, I was, I was into heavy music. So, like, I kind of just had this thing where, um, you know, I felt like I felt very much, um, I felt like a lot of men were just automatically against me. Like, I automatically had to fight other men to kind of prove myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I played ice hockey growing up. I played soccer and, you know, sports were an outlet for me also when I was younger. Um, because I was, I was angry cause I did, I felt like a lot of men were just against me. So, you know, when mm. I, so I, I carried that all through my life. You know, I, I
0: mm-hmm.
1: just that tension and that, um, that always like that being really overly aware that I might have to fight somebody or just, I don't know what it was, but it's, it, you know, through that weekend, I definitely, a lot of those things started coming out and I said, well, why do I feel uncomfortable around other men? And, you know, do I feel like they're judging me based, are they judging my body? Are they judging my height? Um, you know, and just all those insecurities I had within myself. So I had to dig into my shadows and, you know, really pull that out and be like, this is, this is why I feel this way. And having it come to the table and then addressing, you know, why I feel that way and why uh, I project that towards other men or, and so mm-hmm. it was interesting to hear. And then, and then hearing other people's perspectives on, you know, most people are like, oh, I don't see you as being very short or I don't, you know, I don't see that in you, but the whole time. And that's what anxiety, right? It just makes us think this false, this, this illusion of what's happening, but it's not really what's happening. <laughs> it's just what we mm-hmm. think is happening. Mm-hmm. And um, sure. So that was, that was one aspect of, of the weekend that I had had focused on for myself. And it's hard to know when you go, you know, it's like, well, what am am I going to talk about? What's going to happen to me? And you just, you can't plan for it. You just have to let it happen. And when you know, it's kind of your turn to share or be processed, it kind of speaks to you in that way.
0: If, if there was, you know, if you were sitting across from one of the guys that, you know, we grew up with that, I mean, for better or worse, I, I don't like the word toxic masculinity because the men who need to hear that the most, it makes them crazy. Uh, yeah, yeah totally. So, <laughs> I can't tell you, like anytime I talk about masculinity on Twitter um, and and I use that word, I'll have like several D-level D, D level celebrities Um, from Los Angeles saying the only reason I have mental illness is because I need, my father didn't beat me enough and, uh, (laughs) or just stuff like that, you know? Um, so, you know, those guys, you know, and I don't want to say, you know, put them all in a box. Right. But, but, but with men who might be skeptical, I could imagine one of them saying this sounds homoerotic. I can imagine them saying this sounds like a hippy dippy. Thing, what would you say to to someone who 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 had that take?
1: It's yeah, it's that's a really good question. It's it's hard to just say like oh, be open minded, you know, because that's not mm-hmm. if if they were open minded, they wouldn't, you know, they again, I don't want to put it in the box, but people wouldn't, other men wouldn't, uh, you know, they they wouldn't be so so narrow in their view of, 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 of that by saying like, oh, this is some, you know, homoerotic stuff or this, you know, if we were more open to it, just as a person that was open to things. Um, yeah, that's, that's a really hard question. I mean, I have, I'm in, I'm in that even just when people, friends of mine who might not be as open-minded say, oh, how was your, how was your weekend? And I was like, it was wonderful. Um, you know, and I just try to really give them, you know, even if I say, yeah, you, you might benefit from this, even speaking to another generation like speaking to my dad about it um mm-hmm. was really interesting conversation to have um and trying to explain to him from this from his generation you know like how this could be beneficial for him to kind of go back and look through some stuff and it's and it's hard because his generation you know was was very different you know you didn't like you know you didn't you didn't share your feelings you didn't talk about anything you were seen as weak so you just didn't talk about it you just didn't do anything about it and i think there's still a mm-hmm. lot of demons in in him and in my, when i was at this event too i said oh i i could see my dad being here and like really benefiting from this so i'm not really answering your question cuz i guess i just don't know what what exactly would say i guess all i can say is is to share i share my experience but i keep it sure. i keep it at a certain level so it doesn't go too deep you know i just try to scratch the surface mm-hmm. um and hope hopefully people other people can relate to my background and, and what I came up through. So people can say like, oh, you mm-hmm. went through this the punk rock scene too? Cool. The same way that I got brought into it, you know, I found someone that I could relate to and that opened the door and it opened my mind and it allowed me to mm. experience it. So that's the only thing I can really hope for is that, you know, someone could relate to me and and what I went through and then be like, oh, well, if if Johnny did it, maybe I should give it a shot and see what happens. So that's what I can really yeah, hope for. I,
0: mean, for. I mean, I just tell people, you know, thinking a lot of the assignments to masculinity, I think a lot of people get caught up. They, they conflate the conversation that, um, that we might have around, um, our gender norms and gender expectations. They conflate that with just terrible, horrible, um, internet fighting. Cause that's where they hear it. Sure. Which I think is really unfortunate because it's such a different thing, right? Like that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about shaming or embarrassing anyone for being a man, but sometimes that's what people hear because they're so defensive and maybe that's happened in the past. But what I do is I just, I share like, look like staying in this box doesn't feel good. Like having to be strong all the time doesn't feel good. Never being able to ask for help. Yes. Is not sustainable if you're living a full and powerful life. Um, You know, all of these things that our fathers and our grandfathers kind of passed down that we have to be always in control, that we have to always be providing for our families at a certain level without a hiccup, regardless of what the economy is doing. And if you're not doing that, you're less of a man and you don't deserve affection. You don't deserve camaraderie. You don't deserve to be... uh, you know, to have a certain status in the community, really, and that is fucking bullshit. And there's, it's only there's only net positives, right? Like you're you're not gonna. <laughs> it's not like uh, you're giving you know you're you're giving up these things. In my opinion, that really empower you. I I think it's really a net positive. And I I listened to a couple podcasts um, with the guys from Sacred Sons, and the way they talk about this criticism of our gender roles. Is really from an empowering place and yes. I didn't I, I heard a co- I didn't even hear them say toxic masculinity once I didn't hear them like that's not even the flavor of what they're talking about they're talking about being a whole accountable empowered self-expressed uh, v- uh, person with enough vulnerability to be able to ask for help when you need it which is yes. like being a whole fucking person you know
1: It's yeah. It's it's, you're absolutely right. I totally agree. It's um. It's just so different than what people. You know, like you said, like what people would think it would be. You know, the skepticism, the the uh, you know, the criticism of 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 anything even like this. But it is so different. But it's like you said, it's very empowering, and it's just you just becoming the best version of yourself, and that you have support no matter what. And also, they you know they talk about sort of you know getting of the lone wolf mentality because we're, you know, mm-hmm, I'm mm-hmm. totally guilty of that. Mo- most people are where, you know, you hide, especially if you suffer from mental illness. Yeah. I, I Hiding was one of my most favorite things to do. I never asked for help. I, I saw that as weak. And, um, mm. you know, th- that, being, that being said to me, I sometimes say to myself, you know, you're lone wolf in it right now. Like, call somebody, Mm. you know, call. And the best thing is that because we are all in this sacred sons brotherhood together, you know, I, I was very hesitant, but I could call any of these people that I just met strangers and they would hold space for me. They would listen to me. They don't know me. They know, they've known me for a weekend. Um, you know, I have an accountability partner, um, which we set up on our own. Um, And I can call them no matter what. And they call me and you just know you have that support and you've made that commitment to each other that like, Hey, don't loan Wolf it right now. I'm here for you. I'm holding space for you. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, don't slip into that. Um, And it's just, that's very empowering just to know that you have that love, you have that brotherhood, you have that support. um, And just knowing it's there is very, very comforting for sure.
0: For sure. And, 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 you know, it doesn't, it's not, you know, this isn't this isn't necessarily a conversation just about this one program. It's a conversation about what having camaraderie really can mm-hmm. do. You know, evolutionarily speaking, if you were an alone wolf, a lone wolf in a human form is a dead human. Yes. For most of our lives, for most of human evolution, we are programmed to be in a complete freaked out state if we're alone because that means we're about to fucking die. Mm-hmm. So for me, one of the most incredible things was to actually go out and find that community, create that community. And, you know, I I have elements of what you were talking about in other programs um, and in other spaces, but to have people who you identify with who are just going to, hear you where you don't have to step on eggshells you don't have to be nervous about making one little mistake and everyone's going to fall apart that people who people who are kind to you that you see on a regular basis that has accelerated my recovery perhaps more than anything you know like because now now i can take chances in therapy now i can take mm-hmm. chances in asking people out on dates now i can ask chance take chances in business because when people say no and if there's a rejection i still have that place i still have that space i don't my body doesn't go into fight and flight when i have a no anymore yes i'm like well i can go to my synagogue on sunday and uh, go to my class and i can go to this wrestling thing and i can go to my adult children of alcoholics and like they're always going to be there and i can be sloppy and messy and incomplete and in process and they're there so that means in the other parts of my life in my healing parts it's not all or nothing. Yes,
1: Absolutely. I totally agree. It's wonderful. It,
0: so what when you look, what, when you look back on it, what did you get? What did you, what are all the things? What's your laundry list of what you got out of, out of doing this work?
1: Um, You know, it really, <clears throat> it really showed me that, you know, you can, you can set boundaries for yourself and you can really be exactly who you are and, and still, you know, navigate, navigate yourself through the world and be able to hold yourself accountable and, um, you know, set new challenges for yourself and face them head on with confidence and empowerment and support. And it's definitely changed, you know, my, my demeanor and in the way I look at everything with the way I just treat humans. Um, you know, I, and the way that I have interactions with my students, and with parents and with, um, you know, my colleagues, I just come into um, situations with more compassion to, for others. And knowing that, you know, we're all going through something on a daily basis, it's taken me out of my my, my anxiety, my fight or flight mode, and also a lot of my judgment mode. Uh, you know, I just, I I take a step back now and I think for a second... I definitely stop in my day and take, I breathe a lot more. You know, I, I've definitely taken a lot of, um, uh, you know, ways to just be more present and listen better, um, and just be much more supportive for people. And, you know, and, and I'm a teacher, so it's, you know, I've, I've always sort of had, had that ability, but now I'm more tuned into it. And I really try to be more present for my students, but I also have to be aware of, being present for myself and before I can be present for others uh, fully by giving them a lot of space. So I've been able to really, um, you know, like I said, like set my own boundaries, but in without anger where I think that's what I, that's what, that's how I dealt with things in the past. It was like, you're, Oh, you're, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're overbearing me. So I'm going to respond with anger and yelling frustration. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I've definitely figured out how to just not be an asshole, you know, in a way, Mm -hmm. because that's just how I was programmed, how I was trained to, you know, my mental illness was part of that, was just being angry and and approaching things with anger. And I'm like, wow, I can approach things with compassion and love and feel better about myself, not hurt anybody and, and come out on a much more positive, in a positive way. And I've seen the proof of that and it's addicting, you know, when you're empowered and you're seeing positive change Mm. in all aspects of your life, you're like, Oh, I'm going to keep doing that. (laughs) So I, and I've just Mm. kept doing it and you know, it's hard, it's hard to put it into practice, but you have to, you just have to stop every once in a while and take that big breath and just reassess your situation and figure out, is this really the best way to handle this? Um, you know, and I, and I choose Mm. my battles in a different way. I choose them wiser but also not every choice is a battle. You know, I, I think that, that, you know, that battlefield is changed a lot for me. I don't see it that way anymore. I don't even see it as a, as a battlefield really.
0: That's, that's, that's like, it's funny that you say that. Cause I, I just was this afternoon was, was recording a, uh, a, um, a podcast, just a solo podcast on my experience with trauma therapy. Yeah. Um, And it's it's interesting because once you do like you go through one type of therapy and then you're doing community work and you're doing just different types of stuff, like they all kind of reinforce each other. But I I was just saying this exact thing is like where someone was asking me and I was answering their question that from from Twitter, they were asking me, how do you know, you know, trauma therapy was working and that I gave the same answer you just gave on the, on this community piece, which was, I can, I'm smarter in response to adversity. Um, I used to, I used to be able to like charm people if they had something I wanted, (laughs) but if someone was like stern with me or just even a little bit critical, I would just freeze and then just kind of hate myself and just kind of eat it. Or maybe I would fight. And now I'm learning. Well, if someone's a dick to me, I can kind, of, I can, I can charm them then yes. too <laughs> to get out of harm's way. I don't have to make a whole scene. I can talk about it if I want and express myself if I think there's room for that in that relationship and it's appropriate. Um, I could also not do that if I don't think it's appropriate and it's not going to help me. And all you know, and there's just so many options that I'm learning. Mm-hmm. And I think so much of my own depression was just being stuck in that response. Yes where, you know, I just, was, it was just eat it, eat it, eat it. You're an asshole. Eat it, eat it. I'm an asshole. I'm an asshole. I'm just, this is my problem, you know, and who? what a relief. That's a great, yeah,
1: the, the relief. of have
0: something else. Yeah. Um, you talked a little bit about accountability. What do you think accountability has to do with recovery?
1: Well, it's, it's really, it, It's really difficult because um, there's so many different forms of accountability, and some are more aggressive than others. And it really depends on how you start uh, your accountability and, and the consistency of it. And, you know, some people hear accountability and it creates, you know, more stress, more anxiety. It could even slip you deeper into your depression because, you know, you feel like you need to be good enough or... You know, be very consistent with one thing, um, and I just see it a little bit differently. You know, I, I I see it in a in a much more compassionate way instead of seeing it as you know this pressure that I have to put on myself. Mm. Um, so I see it as you know not as black and white as I as I once did. You know, I see more of the gray area where it's like, well, if I'm not doing this, then I fucked up. You know, I'm 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 wrong. You know, or I'm mm-hmm. not doing this consistently. You know, like if I'm not, you know, if I'm not writing a song, if I'm not writing a hit song every day, well, then I'm not holding myself accountable for being a songwriter or even an artist. Like if I'm not painting and drawing every single day, then I'm not an artist anymore. And that's not the truth. You know, I can, I can set realistic, compassionate goals for myself and achieve them and also make them less, uh, Uh, you know, they're easier goals, they're realistic, they're attainable. And I don't have to attain that goal, um, you know, all in one day. So I think I think Mm -hmm. the accountability, it's been empowering, because it forces me to really assess my situation and say, Okay, so what's realistic here? What could I really do? And what can I do? Um, And I do this with myself emotionally, too. Of course, I want to get up every day and stretch and do yoga and meditate every morning. But sometimes life doesn't allow that to happen. Um, you know, I'm running late. I have to go to a meeting. You know, we all have things going on. And so uh, really being, you know, holding yourself accountable. Um, and, and, you know, there's still some aspects of tough love to it. Um, but also being kind to yourself and being compassionate within yourself and being mm-hmm. like, hey, just because you didn't do that, it's okay. Like, it's all right. There's nothing wrong with you not reaching that today, you know, because maybe today wasn't your day and maybe tomorrow will be your day. And I think that plays in with sort of depression or any other mental illness because you have good days and you have bad days. And I think, and you never know when it's going to be, but you try to capitalize on your good days when you're either hyper-focusing or you're just feeling really good. So I think, you know, uh, instead of it being that, you know, black and white, you know, it's, I've been able to see more of the gray area and be more realistic about it. Um, now that I've kind of, you know, I know myself better, so I'm able to navigate through this, um, with, with less, um, um, just with less anger and with less judgment of myself.
0: Mm. Mm. I mean, you have to be accountable to not abusing yourself too, right? Like that's. Part of the deal. What you're saying, it sounds a lot about what people talk about in um, the adult children of alcoholics program Mm. of reparenting where, you know, it's like, what do you, what would you say? What, you know, if you had a nurturing parent growing up or even now, like this is something they do. They actually have you kind of channel a presence Mm. of a nurturing force. And what would that person say to you? And that person wouldn't say it's all or nothing. You're bad for not, you know, checking every, every, every box off the list and we can get stuck in that, especially when we're talking about self-care and um, self, I don't want to say management, but just when you're talking about taking care of yourself, it's easy to get stuck in that same rut where you're like, I didn't, I didn't meditate. I didn't, I mean, it might be, you didn't shower or, and I ate McDonald's, you know, It's easy to just get stuck in that same loop. The answer is not to be harder on yourself. The answer is to stay on the path and be gentle. And that's like what that's, that is what parents who are great really are able to achieve with their children, right? Like you're doing your best, just stay, stay in the game we're proud of you no matter what, just stay in the game and do your best. But a lot of us didn't get that message. Yeah. (laughs) Uh So we're 40 years old, (laughs) still working, working. but God bless us. You know, (laughs) it's interesting you say that
1: because, um, yeah, from a parenting perspective, um, it's, it's fascinating to think about sort of what you're modeling and what you're reflecting towards your, towards your kids and, you know, preparing them for, for life. Um, in in, in a compassionate, but still, like you said, accountable way. So what is, you know, what is the, Mm -hmm. what is powerful accountability or I'm sorry, compassionate accountability where you're still able to achieve um, without, you know, without, without, you know, causing trauma to, to your child. And I mean, I, you know, I, I I teach middle Mm -hmm. school, so this is just like the constant topic of discussion Mm. is, you know, how do I, you know, and I teach visual art. So I'm already teaching something that is so subjective um so it's mm-hmm. it's you know and this is the stuff I think about all the time it's like how do I hold you accountable you know based on this cuz how do I gauge how long it's going to take a student to create something it's like all right well you know everyone's different so it, it's kind of the same the same thing but I think about this stuff all the time you know it's just it's just constantly in my mind
0: i remember being in shock the first time i did a documentary around olympic athletes Mm. and their parents um because i was coming you know i came out of a home of a lot of neglect and drug abuse and alcohol abuse um and just you know growing up like that you just i just I had the idea that really good parenting meant being really hard ass on your kids and being an authoritarian and molding athletes into, you know, gold medal winners. Mm. And after I started hanging out in these, these <laughs> literally like medal finalist families, and they're all, they're all doing that nurturing accountability. Like, there's no stress. Right. There's no cortisol in the space. Everyone's going to sleep complete. There's no yelling. There's no breaking things. Everyone's loose. (laughs) In, like, several sports, everyone's loose all the time, and they're not getting alcohol to do it. It's just, you know, it's a lot of structured time, and if things don't get done, they don't get done. And they talk about it and they figure it out for tomorrow and everyone's kind of, it's like, and this. I was just like, what's happening? <laughs> and then everybody was resting all the time <laughs> in every sport. I was like, you know, and then coming out of television was like, you don't rest in television. Like you fucking work until your eyes are bleeding and then you, tr- you know, sleep under your desk and then you do it again and you get ratings. And, you know, I just figured that was the success. Totally. That's, that was how you do it. But no, I mean, if you're an elite athlete, I don't, I don't think that's really, uh, if you're an elite athlete, I don't think that's really how it works. Um, but I just, I remember being shocked and like thinking about it for years. Like what, what was that? <laughs> you know, like, and then, yeah, you <laughs> yeah, know, <you're... laughs> ten, 10, years later, I was like, Oh, <laughs> yeah. It's funny.
1: It's funny you say that because I, uh, I actually, uh, started coaching soccer, Uh, at the school I teach at and I had to really think about like what kind of coach I wanted to be because same thing. I had a hockey coach that was, you know, was a nightmare. I mean, it was straight up just Mm -hmm. like, it was intense. You know, Uh, you were getting yelled at all Mm -hmm. the time, you know, Uh, you know, sprints and laps. Oh, you didn't do this, do this. So, it's, so in my mind, I sat back and I said, well, I'm in this different place right now but I still need to hold my players accountable and I still need to teach them about grit and hard work and perseverance and like battling through things. And I had a lot of, I had a hard time with it. Um, you know, trying to figure, figure that out from, even from a athletic standpoint, you know, uh, emotionally skill wise, you know, uh, it, it was really hard and I'm still trying to work through that and figure that out as much as I'm thinking like, okay, what is, what is, this look like in 2019? Well, what does good coaching look like in 2019? Like, what does that even look like? Like, I don't know. And it takes me into sort of thinking about all of the mentors and coaches and people that have taught me over the years and what I took away from those things. Um, you know, when I, 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 Mm -hmm. I, I was taught and trained art by one gentleman who was very classical and very strict and rigid and very, you know, Renaissance based, and then I, my other mentor was someone who was much more, oh, draw what you see, you know, be expressive, mm-hmm. you know? So I had these two schools of thought and I agreed with both of them to a point, And now I just kind of have to intermingle them and figure out how that can be mashed mm. up. So it's kind of like, you know, mm-hmm. it's just these schools of thought about accountability and, and structure. And it's that, that your story about the athletes, I was just like, you know what, that makes so much sense. <laughs>
0: Mm, yeah, I remember seeing it for the first time. I mean, I had a uh, the first time I was working for uh, Amy Emmerich. She uh, runs a content over at Refinery29 now. Um, she is a complete superstar. And I remember the first time I saw her direct, I saw a presence like I had was completely confused me and 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 bewildered me. And then I fell in love with her all at the same time, <laughs> which, you know, she had... I was, I was shooting a, uh, we were shooting some MTV fucking review show of a bunch of teenagers on reviewing like reality shows on MTV, whatever. Um, and her, and her to be husband was doing the lighting on the set, but she was like so fucking intense. Like you go over here. What are you doing over there? Why is this like this? I need you over here. You down, boom, boom, boom. Like her brain was in like eight different places, giving eight different people specific direction with an intensity that was unrivaled mm-hmm. that I couldn't like, was just like oh shit. I better do a good job here. And then it was cut and it was, I love all of you. Thank you for supporting this project and my vision. And like, and she just loved on just, just, just poured it on this affection and appreciation and, and those two polls, I was like, that's not mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. You can ask the world from people and even direct and command from people and still love them and show them kindness that, you know, maybe they haven't even felt before. Mm, so, good point. I'm still just kind of figuring it out myself. Like, just as we're having this conversation, like, I haven't really, you know, sat down and thought about this either. But now I'm starting to think about it. And that's uh, it's an interesting thing to think about.
1: Yeah. I try to, you know, I try to instill a lot of this, you know, in my students as well, just how they navigate through their day and, you know, interact with each other. I mean, I guess I'm lucky in that respect because as I'm transforming into a higher, better version of myself, you know, there's, there's bits and pieces of it that I definitely bring into my classroom. Um, you know, without getting very deep into it, because same thing, I don't want to be like, okay, everyone, we're going to sit in a circle, we're going to hold hands and I want you to tell me one thing you're grateful for today. Yeah, I, you know, I don't go that deep. I just try to make them a little more aware, you know, and, it's, and of course, when we were, you know, I mm-hmm. think about self-awareness, middle school, I'm like, I didn't know anything. Like, I didn't, aware, mm-hmm. aware self-awareness, what the hell is that? Like, You know, the teachers right there, I'm like throwing a book across the room and they're like, didn't you see me standing here? I'm like, uh, yeah, I mean, no. So it's just, it's just funny, like, you know, the time and place scenario of, 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 you know, like just how, how aware, self-aware you are of where you are in your environment and how you're supposed to, you know, like act in certain places and what you do with your friends and then what you do when you're at your job, you know, those sort of differences. It's like, uh, Yeah. I'm like, you know what would happen if Mr. Narmita did that at work? Yeah. I'd get fired. (laughs) You can't do that. Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. So it's, 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 it is fascinating to to sort of be in the line of work that I'm in and kind of be going through all of these things with trauma and mental health and, um, you know, and so I guess for lack of a better word, some form of, uh, you know, reaching a higher level of myself and, uh, it's a it's a, it's a a really fascinating process to observe. It definitely keeps things interesting every day. It doesn't get boring.
0: For sure. And it's, I mean, you know, I think these kind of stories are just so important when we're talking about mental health because right now we talk about mental health from one perspective. You're messed up, you're broken, maybe you'll get a little better and that's about it. But this platform mm. and the, the stories like yours that I'm so dedicated to telling are the stories of those of us Who have been touched by this fire and then we transform it into our lives and learning and going deeper into ourselves and then we come out with these really unique insights and gifts and ways of being that most people won't won't they won't even ever touch in a million years you know so if you're new on this journey i just i hope that you feel not just my cat <laughs> meowing who is very excited that uh, to be having this conversation but i hope that you f- like like i hope i'm just hoping that some people can see that light at the end of the tunnel because i when i got sick i certainly didn't know that it was even possible to have empowering conversations and real conversations i mean not just like eh, it'll be okay someday and it'll you know or just like dismissive conversations but like really like doing emotional work because you have a mental illness can make is is an amazing journey once you come out on the other side. And that doesn't mean it doesn't suck right now. And that doesn't mean that you're not in pain. And that doesn't mean that, you know, it's pro I mean, honestly, it's most people who are, who are suffering, who hear that are going to be pretty pissed off because they don't think it's possible. But in the back of your mind, I know that you are thinking, you know what, that's going to be me someday. I'm going to be able to, to transform this suffering into real gifts that I'm able to not just have my own peace, but be able to share at my job, with my community, with my family, with my friends and my lovers, you know, it's, it's possible. And we get, I mean, everyone, everyone that I talk to on this podcast, this, this is the story, everyone who's doing well, this is the story. So thanks for helping me, uh, tell more of these stories and being one of these folks that's, uh, that's bringing this to the world.
1: Yeah, it's really, um, it's really important for me to have the stories and, and have these relationships, um, and share the, the, the depths, you know, of the hell that we've all been in and what happened when you hit rock bottom and what got you through it and what just, you know, there are some days where you just can't even get enough mustard to, you know, put your shoes on or let alone leave the house or even just get out of bed. And I've been there. Um, literally, literally I've been there and, um, you know, and I, I've hit rock bottom a few times and I guess coming out of it, in in each time before, you know, I think the hard thing is when you start to know yourself and your sort of your patterns of your mental illness, you know, you, you might be like to Mm -hmm. to almost to the point where you're like, okay, I'm stable for like two years. And then I slip back into it. You know, I've, uh, that's happened to me and I've Mm -hmm. known others where that's happened where you, you know, you're, you're kind of on borrowed time where you're like, okay, I got two years to flourish and be the best version of myself. And then I know after that two years, I'm just going to slip back into a deep depression. And I, I, you know, this time around, the first time ever in my lifetime, I'm 38, you know, I'm like, oh, you know what? Um, I didn't slip back in after I thought my time was up.
0: Mm-hmm. I didn't
1: slip back into the depression. What happened? You know, what did I do differently this time?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I'm always very aware of that, you know, because in the past, you're like, oh, that's going to make me slip. I'm not going to do that. You know, you are you very protective of yourself. Um, and, you know, I think I think the best advice that I can give is that I always knew that whatever I was feeling was temporary. I think that was the first thing that I would always say to myself when I was at the bottom. I said, this isn't the way it's always going to be. This is temporary right now. It Mm. fucking sucks right now, and there's no denying that, but it's going to go away. Like, I know it will. You've been through this before, you know, and I did come out, and then for two years I was stable, or three years, and then I slipped back in, and I kept telling myself, the same, like, you know, you're going to get past this. It's temporary, you know? And also in that moment, I had to say, like I said, at the beginning of the podcast, um, you know, this is part of who you are. This is an illness. It's not, you can't fix it. It's not fixable, but you can stabilize it. And I think with accountability, I think, you know, when you're depressed, you're like, I I need to fix this. Like this needs to stop. This needs to go away. And I, th- I think me coming to that realization that like, this is never going to be fixed, but I can mm. stabilize it and I can live a really happy, awesome life. And those two things really helped me through all of it was thinking about stabilization, mm. not fixing, and that these feelings are temporary. My anxiety is temporary. It will go away. It's not going to, I'm not going to feel like this forever. And that
0: doesn't mean it's brief. Right. Exactly. That doesn't mean it's not brief, because it could be years, years, right? But you got to stay, you got to hang in there, because it can get better. Especially, I mean, even if you, we just had um, Nikki Lynette, who's a a rapper out of Chicago, um, and and she she says, you know, it's just about the baby steps. You know, you you might it might it might hurt for years, but just start with the baby steps. You know, get to therapy when you can. Start with the baby steps. Absolutely, go for a walk when you can. Start with the baby steps. You know, eat your protein. Eat eat a little bit better today. You know, um, y- you know, make sure you get your your nutritional basis covered a little bit better today. Just the baby steps. You know, try to reach out your to your friends a little bit more than you did last week. Just a little bit, little bit, and it grows and it grows and it grows and. It... I mean, that's probably the thing that I'm most present to just doing this project is that there's just so many of us with like the same kind of archetypal stuff that we go through. And I really thought, you know, when I started, I was like, okay, I'm the one guy that got out. Like I got to spread the word, but it's like, everyone's got the same story. It's just not getting out there. So now I just feel like more, you know, I don't when I'm, Doing his interviews, I almost have nothing original to say, <laughs> right. which I'm so grateful right. for. <laughs>
1: well, I've seen, you know, I've seen
0: Cause yeah, I've seen
1: your process, you know, you too. Know, like I, you know, this time, however, last year, you know, I, you know, there were bits and pieces, and and I think being, you know, someone who suffered, like I, I I understood your process, even though we didn't talk about it. You know what I mean? Like we weren't mm-hmm. in touch a lot, and I, and like even now, like I, I kind of like I, I'm, I'm seeing your process, and it's and it's beautiful, and I'm like, this is. Great, and then when you tell me that, like you're, you know, you're going, you're doing different things. I'm like, this is awesome. Like, I'm just really happy for you, and, um, and it, you know, I'm I'm happy you reached out because it, you know, it warmed my heart because I knew at the time when we were hanging out, you know, you just weren't in this space. You know, you were in a different space, and you were trying to navigate mm. through what you were going through, and um, you know, and I, I'm happy that we were able to reconnect because, um, you know, the, I was just like, even in that moment, I was like, this is temporary know, he'll come, he'll come out of this and, you know, and then we'll, we'll, we'll mm. get together again and we'll reach out and our paths will cross again. And I just kind of had this feeling that that's, that's what was going to happen. And, and it did. So I'm happy that, that we were able to Beautiful. reconnect.
0: Thank you. Definitely. Thank you. Yeah. I had no idea. I thought I was like, oh yeah, I'm cured. Every <laughs> time I'd, I'd make like one little improvement, I'm like, I'm good now. I'm I'm time to go out in the world. And <laughs> well, no, I was not ready. That was not right. Really, that was my, that was my deal. I'd be like, Oh, okay. I made a little bit of progress. And I'm like, Oh, now I'm really feel like myself again, or if not better. And it's like, I still got a lot of work to do. Oh, yeah. It's going to take some time. This is a lifetime, but yeah, I'm really grateful for you sharing your story and, uh, and, uh, and, and connecting, um, where can, can people find your work? If you want to share anything like that? Um,
1: you know, it's very strange. I, I This is something I'm working on, but I'm not, I'm not a big social media person. Uh, I I really never have, never have been. I mean, I do most of my, um, you know, I, I was actually a tattoo artist before, um, and before I, before I, um, went back into teaching, but, um, you know, I mostly just was using my obsessively checked Instagram as my portfolio at the time, but, um, my Instagram is just, my Instagram Mm -hmm. is private, but if you, if you're interested and you want to talk to me about anything, um, or even DM me. Um, it's just Jane Armita. It's just let first learn my first name. And then my last name N A R M I T A. Um, and if you're hearing this and you, you want to shoot me an email, um, and you, you know, you need, you need some space, you know, I'm really open to holding space for people if, if you're inspired by, by, by this uh, podcast, but it's just Jane Armita at mac.com. M-A-C.com. So that's sort of where you can find most, most of me, but, but I don't share too, too much on social media.
0: I like it. That's, I'll be the subject for another podcast. <laughs> right. I'd like to get there too, but now, now I launched a media platform. So you're I'm kind of stuck. <laughs> I'm now. Yeah. I'm stuck, brother. All right. Thank you, sir. Um, is there anything else you want to add before we
1: sign off? Uh, no, I, th- I think that's everything. I just, you know, I'm really grateful you're doing this and I'm, and I'm happy that we're able to, uh, you know, shed some light on the topic and, you know, make and, you know, find some more people like us that have a story and that, that are willing to share and, you know, bring this to the surface. So I really appreciate what you're doing.
0: Likewise, brother. Likewise. If you want to grab a meal, uh, if you're in Redmond, that's easy for me. If you ever want to grab a meal after work, give me a That's show. excellent.
1: My school's in Redmond. So, hey, I'll see you after work.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what I just, yeah, I'm in Kirkland. Yeah, yeah. So, cool, right man. there. All right. All right, brother. Thank yeah, thanks, you so Jesse. much. Bye. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. If you like this show today, please consider supporting our work over at Mental Radio at mentalhealthmedia.org, where you can make a tax deductible contribution. As always, the show is. Executively produced by A.V. Flocks, With a special thanks to Tom Trottier, Tamara Broadhead And Patrick Mohan Thank you so much to all of our GoFundMe supporters Mecky M, Carolina P Ryan P, Metal D Toa Paul M Joel R, Ben G Vinny R, Patty M Sean H Linda E, Franklin G John P, Sophia M Jackie M, Bob S, Rose P, Jeannie A, Handy H, Tim W, Stephanie P, Patrick L, Stephen J, Judy B, David L, Stuart M, uh, Jim E, Cass G, uh, The Smo, Alex B, Marilyn S, Colin F, Lauren B, Patricia M, Phil A, and Ivan. Man, the music is drugs of choice by handsome under the creative common license thanks for listening everyone um, until next time feel free to follow and interact and join our conversation on twitter i am at zookman twitter.com slash zookman and uh, until next time, take care of yourself and take care of each other. I'll talk to you next in a couple of weeks. Zai up.